it's time again for another wonderful episode of the Dev Hell Development Hell podcast. Uh, this is Chris. Over on the other channel is Ed. Say hi, Ed. Howdy. <laughs> that was a little bit of a delay. Uh, this episode is a little bit kind of weirder than other ones that we've done um, because Ed and I actually recorded this uh, when both of us happened to be at my conference to North PHP about a week and a half ago. We sat down while um, the hackathon that they were doing was winding down. And we sat down and talked, and we talked to a few different people, and we have a we had a very special guest come on and kind of talk to us about conferences and stuff like that. So uh, before we get to the uh, episode, uh, Ed, time to talk about the sponsors. We have uh, two sponsors. Um, one of them is Wonders Network, uh, which was made by a guy named Wonder, uh, who had special superpowers, and... Uh, Hey, my my uh, computer just dinged, and that reminds me that Wonder's special superpowers were uh, finding out how long it takes to get to your web page from Panama or Kazakhstan. That's what Wonder Networks is good for. Also, if your localization stuff works. So if you, say, serve up a different page to those in Bangladesh as you do in South Africa, they're the guys to talk to. I don't know if they have locations in either of those places, but they probably do a better job than anybody else. So, you know, uh, get in on that. And also, don't forget, if you are if you travel a lot and you're looking for a nice, secure VPN solution, uh, Wonder Networks through their uh, Wonder Proxy system also will give you a, a cool VPN to make it look like you're from whatever country that they have uh, servers in. So it's a pretty awesome tool as well. Yes, they will do that. Um, yes, that's a, their other superpower is tricking. Uh, it's kind of like though you remember that the just the old Justice or the old Super Friends cartoon where you had the the Wonder Twins, Wonder Twin powers activate, and one was always an animal and one was always a liquid. You remember that? Yeah, it was always like form of a. A, a, bu- a, buck, yeah, a bucket of Paps Blue Ribbon, and then the other one was like shape of an uh, eagle. And so, you know. Yeah, the, and the eagle, all the eagle would do would just like drink the Paps Blue Ribbon. And, that well, is all well, it would and do. then once it was empty, it would pick up the bucket and, and fly drunkenly away. I'm really, I remember it as a kid thinking how strange that whole episode, the whole thing was. Wouldn't that be uh, cannibalism? Um, that's interesting. So, who's our other sponsor today? Uh. Uh, Eveor, I think, um, is how you say it. The copy, I think, the copy uh, upside down. Turn around the other way. Oh my! Oh, uh, Rove. That's it. Um. Uh. <laughs> what do these guys do? They're, um, they they give me money to make fun of the owner on Twitter. That's right. The fine folks That's at right. Rove, yep. Right. Um, Chris, I don't know. I've heard I've heard things that maybe that maybe it's it's a pyramid scheme. Have you been asked to sell products? I have not been asked to sell products, but I'm not through my ninety day probationary period yet, so I don't know, maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna drop that bomb on me um, once I get closer to that. See, what's great is that when you develop your personal network of sellers, 
they'll sell your products and make a profit. And then you'll make your profit too. It's a way to change lives. Rove. Change your life. So on that wonderful note, enjoy the little conversation Ed and I had while we are True North PHP. Oh, well, I'm recording now, but I'm going to add a bit later. All right, so we'll do three, two, one. Okay, so welcome to episode number 52 of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, we're recording this kind of differently with a digital recorder. We're at True North PHP 2014 uh, in Mississauga. It's actually Mississauga. I thought it might be funny to let Ed actually pronounce it. but Toronto. Yeah, That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> it's, we're not like a suburb of Toronto. So Ed is up here for the conference, and as those who follow me know, we... Uh, Organize the conference. So, so right now in the background is our poorly organized uh, hackathon, and I'm not happy with how this turned out. To be perfectly honest, no, somebody's gonna get the meeting. There'll be somebody who will be organizing things next year. We'll have to see how this goes. Yep. So we actually have a special guest. We have Ben. Hi Ben. Say hi Ben Ramsey. Hi Ben Ramsey. So, <laughs> we'll a little bit closer. We're good. All right. So, so the thing we're just gonna. I want to talk a bit about organizing conferences because you've went through that, having done the, the PHP Community Conference, which seems will never rise again, like a, will not rise like a phoenix from the ashes of the... I actually have some ideas for doing another one, yeah. um, possibly next year. I don't, I don't know, I might be biting off more than I can chew, but we'll see. Um, so, so yeah, so I wanted to talk a bit just about organizing conferences and stuff, because it's kind of interesting, there's always that constant kind of thing going on on Twitter where people are... People are well, basically demanding more diversity. I want the conference to be this way. I want the conference to be that way. And um, and I said some things about this online yesterday, kind of in a nicer way, trying to say, well, you know what? This isn't as easy as you think it is. And and I mean, I had a long conversation with Ed about this when I picked him up from the airport, and we're talking about this stuff like about the anonymous selection process and all these other things. And so it's like it's not easy. The people. People, I guess people's perception of what it takes to organize a conference like, oh, I'm just going to ask a bunch of my friends to come and talk. It's like, no, no, no. It's way more involved than that. I mean, you look at stuff like, even even something like True North, which is a fairly small conference as far as these things go, with like between, a, between 100 and 130 attendees is kind of what we aim for. And this is going to run us 30 grand to put this on. I mean, it's, you know, that's a non-trivial amount of money and this includes like paying for, you know, sponsorship money to help pay for the venue and, and, and we, uh, you know, we pay for our speakers to come in and, you know, right. that stuff all costs money and so we're very much, for this conference, we're very much ticket driven so if we don't get lots of people coming out then Pete and I are going to be on the hook uh, to pay some things off but once again we managed to get our act together and we're going to break even. So, I don't know, you know, we had a long talk about this. I talked about yeah. uh, talk about the anonymization. People talk about as part of the submission process how they want to anonymize, so you can't see who's submitting something. And mm-hmm. I've always had a big problem with that because I feel like if I'm taking somebody's money, I have a responsibility to give them as much value for their money as possible. So that means, unfortunately, I want to know who's who wants to come to my conference, who's going to submit, because I need to have that mix of people who are known for whatever topic the conference is promoting mm-hmm. so that we can get people to come because I, I honestly believe that if you Ed and I talked about this in the car about well what if you did the conference where it was totally anonymous and you didn't announce it was, you knew it was going to be a technical conference about a specific programming language but you didn't bother saying when you went to go sell tickets it's like we're not telling you who's speaking here's the topics that we're going to be covered but you don't get any talk by anonymous talk. do you mean that 
Like you're just not gonna, going to announce who the speakers are? Yeah. Or you're okay? I thought you were talking well, about earlier, the selection yeah, process. Earlier, you're talking about the CFP, right? right. So that, that, I mean, that's a separate issue. But like, if you want to talk, because people complain that sometimes they're intimidated to submit to a, a conference for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Uh, some women feel super intimidated. Uh, some lesser-known speakers feel super intimidated. They feel like I'm competing against big names or whatever. So the idea is that anonymous submissions lead to the leveling of the playing field. And I, I think that I, I think my experience in running one of these things that that's more of an altruistic idea. It's like you need to know, yeah. you need to know who's willing to come and speak at your conference in order to get to promote it and say, hey, these people are going to be here talking about this topic. I don't see it as an altruistic thing. I see it as a shifting the blame thing. So people will complain when their talks aren't selected. And you can now turn around and say, well, it was all anonymous. So we had, we, we didn't know, right? Um, but I, I disagree with that approach for selecting speakers because I think that you, as you said, you have a responsibility to the people who are going to be attending your conference to select really good quality talks, to select talks that you, you know the attendees want to see, uh, and to, you're curating um, your, the conference you want to have. And when you do an anonymous uh, selection, um, it's really difficult to do that. There's different ways you can do anonymous selection. Like the bar camp in Nashville, the past several years, I believe, has just completely anonymized. Like they just do a drawing, and whatever they draw gets in. No, oh, wow. So it's just random. And they don't even they don't even select based on content. Wow. And then there's the other one where you just anonymize the names, and so you're selecting based on content, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a good quality speaker. Right. Um, and then I think I've seen some that do, like we uh, anonymize it up until the last round, and then we reveal the names and then pick. I just think that these are all pseudo solutions to what is perceived as a problem of being fair to speakers, and uh, I, I really don't think that that's a problem necessarily. Like. You're an organizer, it's up to you to pick who you want to speak. Whether you pre-select the speakers ahead of time and don't even have a CFP, or even if you have a CFP, you're still curating the conference you want to have, and I think that that's, that's an important thing to do as, as an organizer. I think that, you know, I'm not an organizer, so you got to take what I say with a little bit of grain of salt. I think it's one of those things that... Um, I think you know the pressures of it a lot better if you've actually done it. Um, I think that... So, so I, I think that anybody who kind of sort of posits an opinion on that has to acknowledge what their experiences are, right? I think it's... I think the point I remember when I was talking with you, Chris, in the car was that, that I, I think I ended up making was that what you're able to do varies a lot based on one, sort of your your goals in the end and what you want your financial, what you're okay with in terms of financial responsibility and really what your community is that you, you think the potential audience that you have, what you think they're willing to do. Um, I have seen uh, I have seen uh, conferences that have done things like not ever announce who's speaking until you just show up and you see who talks. 
and they've been successful. Does that mean that they'd be successful in every single situation? Absolutely not. There's, you know, so an example would be, it's pretty common with these uh, TEDx talks that, that you know, those uh, non-officially affiliated uh, TED events <laughs> <laughs> that the, you don't anou- you don't announce who's speaking, or you certainly don't announce like what the topics are, things like that. And people show up. And people just show up because it's a TED X little X. I find that interesting event. too because there's no guarantee of the quality of it. No, there's absolutely no guarantee. And TEDx <laughs> TED lets them put their branding on that. I, I don't yeah, know how they even let. The, so yeah. so yeah, and, and well, and so we're do, we, there's one been a, there's been one at Purdue University for the past few years, and then there's been, there's one in uh, that's in Lafayette, the surrounding community, uh, and I'm actually going to be speaking at it uh, on November 22nd, and. Uh, so clearly the quality think, of that TEDx is... Oh, it's very poor. It's very poor. In fact, I, maybe I wasn't supposed to say I'm going to be talking on it. And add it. Uh, but the but the thing is, is that like if you just put that out as um, there's going to be some talks, and you call it like the Lafayette talking event... Well, nobody's going to come to it. The reason why they're coming to it is because they're all excited because it's a TED event, supposedly. It's kind of not really, but it supposedly is a TED event. So it seems like it's going to be a big deal, and, and you're trading off that name, and that's how you get people in. Okay, so that's that's the hook there. I'm on the Xbox One. Uh, Adam Culp on the Xbox One. Yeah. <laughs> like you need, like because I always all the conferences I go to, seventeen, twenty a year. I've never won anything, and I finally win one. Well, now you can shut up and not complain about it anymore. I can't. But I still have to tell you. <laughs> that. Congratulations like that. on the big win. Uh, all right. So if only I could put sarcasm tags around. Just I know. In tarot bank. <laughs> so I, I think that what you end up with, you know, is, so so that's an example of a situation. Well. One, some people would probably also feel that, well, is it a fair process that they do? Well, no. They invite people to talk at these things. There was no, there was no open, there was no CFP. There was none of that. They just say, hey, would you talk? And in some cases, they were like, I'd like you to talk about this thing, <laughs> right? They, you know, and so it's, uh, it, it, that's, it, is it still successful or not? Well. That's what they're trying to do. So how do we judge the success of that? You know, um, so then you've got some things where it pr- typically with most PHP conferences, and I think it's because you that's sort of the example that we followed for a while, is that um, speakers get their lodging and their travel covered for the most part. Most of the conferences, most of the PHP conferences cover that. Well, that puts, that expectation puts a certain burden upon conference organizers to, that that puts them much more financially on the hook. Um, That a conference that is saying, we'd love to have you talk, but um, you know, no, we can't pay that stuff. Well, so their ticket prices can be lower, theoretically. Uh, they can't, and, and and they probably have less of a concern about, like, well, you know what, if we don't get as many people here, maybe it's not such a horrible thing. 
um, because I'm not so fine. I'm not like thirty thousand in the hole already, right? Because I've got to get everybody here. You know what I mean? So I, I think that there's just a, you know there's you have to know what you think. Well, you have you to know. You have to make an educated guess about what your potential audience is going to support. You know, there's different approaches that, like, it seems like most of the Python conferences that I've been involved with, their ticket prices were lower, um, and they did not provide any financial compensation to speakers, um, in, in, even just, like, say, paying for your hotel, for so even for a night. Or, the reason or, that or happens hotel. at most Python conferences is because most of them, I don't know about all of them, but uh, most of them uh, will... I believe received some funding from the Python Foundation, Foundation. Software yeah. Foundation, uh -huh. and they have rules. And right. in order to receive money from them, you have to abide by their rules in how you run the conference and in, in the things you do at those conferences. Right. And I think that even some of those rules go down to you can only sell t-shirts from this person who is approved to make the embroidered t-shirts for Python, uh, Python Software Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that, that's part of it, but um, so some of the rules are you, you, your, your tickets, I, th I think some of it is, and I'm going to be completely wrong on probably most of this. This is just my impression um, from, and, and like side conversations I've had with people. I don't know the actual rules, mm -hmm. but it seems like some of them are about ticket prices right. and keeping them low. They want to make it accessible to people. That, it, that's, I right. think that's and I think that some thing. of them are about... Um, that they offer scholarships to people, mm -hmm. and uh, I think they offer some scholarships. Those scholarships are also available to the speakers mm -hmm. if if the speaker needs a scholarship to go speak. Um, so that there's there's that going on within the Python community, and that's why they don't pay their speakers' way because it's part of the rules around what the expectations are for a Python conference. Right. Um, right. And receiving the money from the Python Software Foundation. Right. And as as a result, you get the um, a blanket umbrella of of the Python Software Foundation, and I believe that you're under their financial umbrella in the sense of like liability. I see. Uh, I think so. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, the impression I've always gotten from them is that they're much more volunteer driven, and they seem like they're sort of. Not that most of the PHP conferences I've been at have been non-altruistic. That almost, it almost sounds like I'm saying one's good and one's you know out to stab you. But uh, the 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 Python stuff that I've seen seems like it's generally very focused on sort of being altruistic endeavor. Um, also, my impression of yeah. the employers of those people who are speaking at Python conferences. Mm -hmm is that those, m many of the employers, I won't say most, but many of them pay the speaker, pay their way. Right. Uh, and so in a sense, those companies are supporting the, yeah. the Python programming language and the Python Software Foundation right. by you know, sending those speakers to speak at those conferences. And, uh, and, and I think that's a good thing in, that, in, that, in, that culture, in the culture of their their community, mm -hmm. um, something we kind of lack here in the PHP community because yeah. I, don't, I don't see that happening 
Well, there is a there is an essential organization of PHP that, that that actually like financially tries to support. Well, I'm that. talking about even the uh, the companies of. Oh, that too. Of, yeah, uh, right, speakers. right. The same way. I guess it's just there's a little bit of a different. That's sort of a difference culturally. Yeah. Right, and that's not. That doesn't mean one is better than the other. Oh, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just right. It's no. an interesting thing. Right, right. It's just different, right? Um, and I, so I guess I guess at the end of the, our conversation, I remember Chris that we had about this. I think what I kind of felt was that I think that there's a lot of different approaches to that, and you have to decide as a conference organizer what you're willing to do, what your intents, what your intents and purposes are, and uh, and then decide how you want to deal with you know certain things and uh, I think that you're going to end up comp- whenever you're trying to organize some kind of event that involves a lot of people and things like that you have to compromise on certain things and you have to figure out what's the, what to do and there's there's nothing that says well this is the single way of accomplishing uh this is what your goal should be, and this is the single way of accomplishing those goals. I think it is far more complex than that, and I think that um, I think that is I, I I I'm not comfortable going in and saying, oh well, they can't do X or they can't do Y. I've been critical, you know, publicly of the uh, approach that the O'Reilly Open Source Conference has because the. The thing that's tough there is that they don't. Now you can, they don't tell you, but they really. But you can ask, and they will. They can try to financially support you. But generally, the if you're not a tutorial speaker, they do. They do not. They give you a ticket. And even the tutorial speakers, um, if I'm not mistaken, you're not really being. It is a. Uh, it's like a ticket sharing. Like you're getting a certain um, cut on the tickets sold for your tutorial. You're not getting a flat rate. Is oh, is that right? So I, I, I didn't. Don't, I don't believe know. that's the case. So, so the, so the short thing is that there's a, they, for the vast majority of speakers, do not pay anything for room and board. Um, you know, it's a long event, four or five days. Mm-hmm. It's uh, on the West Coast. If you don't live on the West Coast, it's a pretty expensive fly out there. Um, and then I think that you 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 see that, and I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. But they charge like eighteen hundred or two thousand dollars for tickets. I mean, it varies. Their, their, their initial ticket prices, are of course, lower, and then it goes up as they get closer to the event. But for like the full thing with tutorials and stuff, it's like over two grand. And you're kind of like, really? You can't come up with that? And it's kind of, that's kind of tough. That's kind of tough for me to deal with a little bit. At the same time, I get I have you know uh, I've asked people who have who aren't necessarily the direct you know what I did talk some to once to a guy who was direct organizer and I guess I didn't get really a direct answer about it but I've talked to some people who have been involved with the conference like involved in choosing talks and stuff like that and the feedback they they kind of gave me or at least that their impression was was that organizing such a large conference in one place. It, the, the expenses were way, they have a way lot of higher. Right, they have a lot of speakers, and that, it's not just the, that they have a lot of speakers, but it's like it doesn't scale linearly. Like, 
okay, well, we have 200 attendees and we have 30 speakers, this is what it costs. And then if we have 10 times those numbers, the expenses are not 10 times as much. They're in fact quite a bit more than that because there's only certain places you can have an event that's that large, that's that large. And then if you have it like that, that means you're locked into a lot of stuff. Like you have to have it at that location. You probably have to like use, you might have to use their caterers. You have to use their people who handle all their AV stuff. You have to use it. Here's no different. We have, right. to, we have to use their AV staff and we have to use their in-house catering. Yeah. Right. And But my guess is that it might also be that it's not like what they're doing here might not be a sort of, you, you know, I mean, we've all heard stories about like running the plate, like like doing it at a hotel, yeah. and that it's like, here's a $100 carafe of coffee, yeah. right? Because if you want it at the hotel, that's what it costs. Or you're dealing with like, and this is not a criticism of labor unions in general, but you're dealing with, you know, Unions and they, they, they get, you know, stereotypes, they get very expensive because they kind of like, no, you have to have your guy like press play on the VCR and you can't do it yourself. You have to, you know, they have to set up. So my impression is that, and I'm not, I'm not happy about it, but I think it's a potential, somewhat sort of a reasonable explanation is that if they did 10 like OzCons spread around that were one tenth the size, it would actually be quite a bit cheaper than doing it all in one place. But the thing you get with having it all in one place is you get this potential for crossover and permeation of stuff that you don't have, that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? So it's one of the things I love about OzCon is I can go and I I can like hear a talk about a bunch of different technologies that I wouldn't I wouldn't run into otherwise. um, I went to OzCon five years in a row and I haven't been in five years, Mm -hmm. so it's been a while. But I would always use that as an opportunity. I mean, if I was speaking on a PHP track, I probably wouldn't go to any of the other PHP talks because I've seen them at other PHP conferences, so I'm going to go to hear Python or Perl Talks and, right. and kind of see what they're doing in their communities and, and kind of compare it to what we're doing and you know yeah. see if that can make, make my code better. And that's a, that's a special opportunity. It's, it's kind of like South by Southwest, but not so douchey, right? <laughs> you know? And so that, that's really cool, and I like that about it. But the drawback is that, hey, I, there's no way I could afford to go like, if yeah. I'm not speaking for sure. And even I, I, I know at least once or twice I got selected, and I was like, I cannot afford this because it, it's a $2,000 at least proposition to go. And all the time associated with it. And all the time. It's a week off of work. Day for travel there, day for travel back. uh, I I do have a disclaimer. I'm on the speaker selection committee. You're not allowed to be on this talk, this podcast anymore. Damn it, Ben. Right. So you are a mole and you need to find this stuff out. No, but um, also, well, when I submit, I will know who to talk to. All right. Um, Anyway, but the point is, I, I think... That's the thing that I think there's some valid things to criticize about it, but it's also really easy for me to sit back and say, well, at OzCon, they, they, keep, they won't pay for it, and I know that they're charging this much for these tickets, so there's absolutely no reason that they should do it. Do I really know? Do I really no, know I what's heard, going on back I have here? heard that they lose money on that. Yes, oh, I've heard that too. I've heard that they consistently lose a lot of money every year. That they treat it as a, a marketing loss 
for O'Reilly Publishing? It's a, I mean, the the event space that they're in is not a, is not inexpensive. It's no, they they pretty no. much have the entire Portland Convention Center. Yep. Well, at least half of it. They have a big part. Uh, and that's yep. a huge convention center. Yep. Uh, and Portland, you, you think is is actually a pretty decent um, expense-wise city. It's not really an expensive city. It's not as bad as San Francisco, but, um, it, but it ain't cheap either, I'll tell you cheap, that. Yeah. It's still not, you know, I think they're sort of thinking that it's cheap, and it might be cheap compared to, say, and Bay we, Area. They left Portland. Yeah, remember, they were in San Jose. One year, and went, well, before Portland years ago, 10, 11 years ago, they they were in San Diego, I think. Was that right? I think, it, yeah. Uh-huh. And then they moved to Portland, they loved it so much, and then one year they went down to, to um, uh, San Jose, and that bombed for them. Apparently did not do well, uh, that's what I heard, yeah. And I, I didn't go that year, but uh, apparently, like, attendees wanted to go to Portland, and also just, like, uh, transportation and getting around San Jose is just not the same as getting around Portland. Uh, yeah, it's a lot the, harder. The train and everything in Portland. Uh, so, I and I think that they just didn't have as big a turnout. But it was cheaper, I believe, for them to produce it down there. Is that right? Um, that's that's my understanding of, mm-hmm. of why they did that. That's interesting. Right. And they, they probably thought there might be a chance that if there's a lot of people coming from that area, maybe more would show up. I don't know. You know, But, but again, that's entirely speculation on my part. Yeah. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. And I don't know what their books look like. So I can say a lot of things about a lot of stuff. I think that you have to be really careful about making assumptions about what you know. And you have to ask yourself, do I really know what went into this I, I or think not? that, uh, and this kind of goes back to a little bit about what you said, or about the, the blind selection and, mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. Um, I think people just have to be careful about assuming things aren't, be, aren't fair. Yeah. Like, so pricing, that's not fair pricing. Well, maybe it's not fair because you, you think you can't afford it, but, like, you can't make that judgment call. And, and the same goes for, like, Speaker selection. That wasn't fair speaker selection because I didn't get selected or because so-and-so didn't get right. selected. I mean, there's a lot that goes into all the decisions you make for a conference. Um, and it might not seem fair to certain people, but it, it's like right. fairness is, doesn't really factor into it, I don't think. Yeah. Now, I will acknowledge, and I, I want to I make it clear that I think I understand the at least the idea behind anonymizing talk submissions. The idea being that you have um, likely uh, unconscious cultural biases that we have and, I, you, and those can, things can show yeah. up. And um, and so I, I actually, I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Um, I think that you have to weigh that against being blind to knowing who the speaker is. And and knowing you know if I you know knowing that it's somebody that oh yeah this is this is one a name or two somebody I know is a good speaker and I, oh you know what I saw them speak someplace else or I, I saw a podcast they did or I know they blog and they're a really good writer or something like that well you lose all that stuff if you toss it out and that's a tough thing because but the, both of those things are valuable you want to you want to eliminate. Um, you want to eliminate as much as possible these, I, I think most people want to eliminate these biases that would lead them to uh, show preference when they don't intend to show preference. Um, 
at the same time, that's a hard thing to lose, like just having no idea who, yeah. the, who it is, because I don't know, I've always felt like every time I've submitted a talk, I've been like, I wrote it up and I'm like, I don't know if why would I pick this? <laughs> like it's just it's just like I would pick it just based on like a, like three or four sentences. Like and I there's lots of like well there's lots of CFPs I've responded to where that's really all they ask for. And I've um, seen some that ask for a little bit more. What I think is interesting is that um, can, can I name the conference? We're gonna drink the water when you guys talk. All right. I, and this is not, I, I'm not criticizing this conference at all, but Confu has a um, like limit on their character count for your uh, submission, which I actually okay. kind of liked because it, uh-huh. it allowed me the chance to pare down my, um, my proposal to just like what was absolutely necessary to get the point across. Right. Uh, but it also has the downside of like as a, as a selector, like someone reviewing those submissions. Right. Like, there's not a lot of color in there. There's not a lot of uh, detail. I don't know exactly... Like, if someone is bad at writing a proposal, then, like, they might not be able to whittle it down to a small proposal. Yeah, I guess I just feel like if you want... It's tough because I guess at the end of the day, it's what are you trying to do? Are you trying to give everybody an absolutely equal opportunity to speak yeah. and that's your priority and I don't think that's invalid and I don't think that that's a horrible idea in and of itself then if you can if that's what you want to do that's awesome and I think there's room for stuff like that just the same way that I think there's room for things where at the whole opposite end of the spectrum where there's room and value in conferences where they say uh show up and you're going to see who we're going to have and we're going to have awesome speakers. And you just know that. Or you just say, hey, here's the 20 speakers we've got. And that's who it is and that's what you need to know. And there's no open process. And they're both valuable. Right? They're both, you can have great conferences either way. So, I, I, but I think anybody who's, who tells you there's only one way of doing it um, is is full of it. I just don't. I just. I. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's accurate. I don't think it plays out that way. It's just different. So I guess what I'd say is, if there's a if there's an area where you think that's not being filled, I think the best thing you can do is do a conference yourself that fits the model that you want it to fit. And if it's successful, then that will inspire other people to do it, and that's great. But it's really hard if you if you say, I haven't been involved in the process at any, at any point, in any, and, and, but I'm just sort of complaining about it. I, I, I have a lot of trouble with that because that is super easy to do. And I just know that I've done the same thing, and I think I've just been way off base on it. I just don't think you know what it's like, and I, I think it, you're not in a position to really to raise what I would say are accurate, you know, actionable criticism, right? It doesn't mean it's not, it's, you know, it's just different, man. It's just different. So it's kind of like 
we're so empowered to do so many things that, like, I think there's a lot more room to do, be doing something than just kind of complaining to one group. It's not like there's sort of like a Illuminati who possesses the ability to put on conferences. Man, if only it was really that way. I was yeah. speaking of a lot more. When yeah, right. Flying business class too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, it's just not like that, and it's like in the. You're assuming that you're in the, you're among the Illuminati. I'm, of course, I would be. I'm yes, of course, absolutely, of course. Of course, I would. But I mean, when I in the, in the Lake Wobegon, uh, Lake, Lake Wobegon Community Conference Selection Committee. You're right. You know, in the 1990s, I did video game fanzines. Because I, I wanted to do it, and I wanted to talk about stuff the way I wanted to talk about it. So I did it, and I got. I started off, and I had a typewriter, and I photocopied it and sent it out to people. And totally that's, see you doing that too. Yes, yeah. I did it, yeah. and I did it because that was what. And it, I wasn't. I, I mean, I was, I was fourteen. I barely knew what I was doing. It was the first time. But you don't do something like that because you're going to get rich and famous. You do it because you enjoy doing it, and it, it fits some kind of goal that you have yeah, like at the end of the day. The Pete and I decided to do True North because there was no Canadian PHP conference. The only, right. only one you could go to was you could go to Confu. Right. I think they just said it, and they had uh, they had PHP track, but it was. They were focusing on all sorts of open source stuff. Sure. There was no PHP centric yeah. conference. Even in Toronto, there were very, very rarely any kind of open source technology based conference mm-hmm. would blow through town. It just didn't happen. And I always wondered what was up with the Toronto market that there seemed to be no support for it. Yeah. That's just, actually it was weird. That's actually why I wanted to do the PHP community conference. And it probably would have happened earlier. Um, but I'm just lazy, right? Uh, so yes, I used to work for you, Ben. I know. What happened? <laughs> what happened was uh, the first Brooklyn Beta. Um, uh, several people, Nick uh, Sloan and uh, Lisa Denlinger, um, were talking to Chris Shiflett and just said, "Hey, we're we kind of want to do a similar conference like this." And he said, "Oh, you need to talk to Ben," because he had known that I had been interested in doing a conference. And I mean, the reason for that was because I saw like an, an opening there. Like at that time, this was in late 2010, yes. early 2011, there was ZenCon and PHP Tech. And that was, that was basically, that it. Was basically it. There was also, what else was in North America that, before we did ours, I'm trying to think. I don't. I can't think no, of anything else right now. I think it's just right ZenCon and Tech. And um, there might have been the off. There might have been some one-off conference or But in terms of other PHP conference, I don't well, think there was. It was Tech and it was really. Zen, it was Tech and it was ZenCon and that was it. And, and, and so the, and we, they, they had a, a couple other ones that MTA did that were sort of like here and there. Oh, right, and they did right. the PHP Works one where they like right, did the right, tour. Right. Well, that was. Works, PHP Works was, was in Atlanta, Atlanta right. and the, but they also did that one that was that that traveling. Yeah, yeah. I believe Works was originally in Toronto. Though. Yes, oh, that, that was, was that was the very first one I ever went to. Was PHP Works so, first conference I ever went to. Um, so I just saw an opening there, like a like a, a need. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think we're gonna get kicked out of here uh, okay. in, in a little bit. I think well, you can finish it up. I was just my, my thought was just like I saw that need, and then that same year, like all these other community conferences just exploded. Yes. Um, yours was that year too. I was twenty. Uh, was eleven? Yeah. No, two thousand twelve. We did the first. Oh, time. twelve was the first year. Yeah. Lone Star was in two thousand eleven. Correct. Right yeah. after we did ours. Mm-hmm. Um, Copycats. And, well, there was. There was some controversy, not for them, yeah, right. but because they were 30 days after tech, and we were like within 30 days before tech. 
Oh, and yeah. so, like, there was a little bit of... Um, People could suck it. <laughs> there was a little bit of bad blood there, which I, was unfortunate because it wasn't intentional. No, right? I understand. Uh, yeah. It just happened that way. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, everyone has... Uh, I think everyone is hugged and made up now, but... Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, that, that happened. And then, uh, so, Lone Star was that year. Northeast PHP was that year, too. In Boston. Oh, in Boston, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, that, and they're still doing that, right? Still yes. Yeah, I still, I've never been out there. So I, I believe they started in 20, 2011. Mm-hmm. And then Sunshine PHP and True North PHP. And, yeah, I think it's great uh, now. now we've got a lot of So now, yeah, we have all Madison sorts of, yeah, there's all sorts of, like, smaller community. What community, and, and we can talk about it real quick. For me, the idea of a community conference is the idea that um, you want to keep it small, you're trying to focus on developers, mm-hmm. or not developers is the wrong word, attendees mm-hmm. in a limited geographic area with the idea of you want to bring in, mm-hmm. you, and you're also willing to bring in speakers from outside the geographic area mm-hmm. because they're going to be able to deliver high quality talks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that to me seems to be the model now for these, you get these smaller, uh, Play, you know, they're capping them at like about 200 attendees, yeah, most right. of these kind of community ones, so it's the same thing. Generally, they're, they're run by, by user groups. They're run or, by user groups, yeah. or they're, or, and more and more often, they're run by people who speak at other conferences. That's the very interesting thing about mm-hmm. it, too. Like, uh, run this one, Adam Culp, the Sunshine, the Midwest PHP folks are all ones, are all people mm-hmm. who have spoken at other conferences as well. I don't know about the Northeast one. If, it, if, it's run by Boston P- Well, it's actually a run by the Boston. The Boston one's quite large. It's Boston not just uh, Boston, though. It's the it's the greater, it's that whole Northeastern yeah, area. Yeah. So Vermont. Uh, New England? It, yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's a Vermont PHP user group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't know if they're called Vermont PHP, but they're in Burlington. Yep. Um, Burlington Co Factory. The same. Uh-huh. Or Bur- is that? That's where. Yeah. It's okay. Um, or someone will correct us. My geography is starting to fail me right now. But yeah, but, um, yeah, it isn't. So there are several groups in that area that have banded together along with Boston mm-hmm. PHP, uh, and Boston's group is huge. I've, I mean, I've heard of like attendance at some of the meetings ranging in three hundred and, and yeah, more. That's great numbers. So, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of seems that's the model now. The idea, I guess, you know, keep the conferences smaller and once But even in your case, ones, like, yep. even though it's not specifically run by the user group, you've got a user group anchoring yes. in this area. Yes. Kind of what we do is like, so we run this thing, we collect all the money, and then our goal is to break even. And anything that's left over, rather than rather than being given to me to blow on magic cards, we instead take it and we give the money to the, the Toronto users group. So then we've done stuff like we've brought in that. Well, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't go out there much anymore because it's between my family and when my wife gets home from work and me trying to get from where I am out in Milton into downtown Toronto is a pain in the ass. Hey, it's we've all got and, problems. We don't need to hear yeah, about it. I got nine problems and the conference ain't one. And uh, so I can't come out anymore. But we pour the money back into the PHP user. We brought right. Brandon, That's we, we brought help uh, bring Brendan Savage in when he was doing his his uh, little uh, crafting code tour and mm-hmm. we brought other people in. Just, it's kind of a good way just to keep that the vortex of less suckitude going there. Just yeah, right. Conference group user group, conference user group, conference user group, keep yeah. that spinning and getting more and more people to come. Right. So. And that helps grow a community that can support a conference like this. So it, it, it absolutely pays off. We I, have people have flown in from like, uh, from, uh, 
uh, Edmonton, from like Alberta and Western provinces. We had some people drive up from the uh, from the Buffalo, New York area. So we're yeah. starting to slowly expand. But you know, the idea is like there was nothing here for people to do. So let's give them a conference and. Uh, you know, I had enough connections in the community to convince people to submit, and, and then I recognized people. And that's the same thing. Talking about, uh, for me, it was a combination of uh, we want to get the submissions. So of course, we create a tool that now other people are using, which is awesome as well. Right. Right. And then it's like, okay, so I'm I'm looking to see who submitted, and I recognize the names. And sometimes there's new people. So I mean, there, we have a bunch of new people. We actually do a lot of more. I think more than fifty percent of our talks this year are by people who did not speak here last year. Yeah. So we changed it up, bring new people. In. I took a chance on a bunch of speakers. Right, them and, come and in. mostly that's embarrassed you. No, no, it's been no, it's been good. The no quality of talks is usually really good. Of course, you're going to get the odd clunker for a variety of reasons. I've yeah. delivered terrible talks. It's been a long time since I did. Oh, yeah, then it, since I did a really terrible talk, but it happens. Yep. But the important thing is to give people the chance. And I have done some terrible talks. Yeah. In my day. What do you remember? Like, what was your worst? Um. Well, the one that stands out is like the first one I gave, right? Well, that's yeah, because it usually. sticks out really, really uh, vividly in my mind. But there's another one that um, I did. Yeah, that's uh, your third cup of water. You need to be cut off. <laughs> there's another one I did. Uh, I don't remember all the specifics of it. I just know like yeah. the feelings and the impressions, right? Right, yeah. Uh, like Jacques and I tried to give a composer talk at uh, Nashville PHP together once, uh-huh, and uh-huh, uh-huh. it was kind of thrown together last minute, right? Yeah. Because we didn't. Your first. Yeah. I can't usually, remember yeah. if there was like a speaker who backed out, and where we didn't have someone that right. night. Yeah. And so, Raphael had his slides online, and we were like, "Hey, do you mind if we use your slides?" Just do his talk. Okay. So we like pulled Jesus, them down. Really? That so was, you and Jacques tag teamed your way through somebody this was else's just, talk like, last year. Were, were all the notes in Portuguese? <laughs> it was no. It was horrible. Oh, there's Raphael right there. Right there. Hey, there we're just talking about him. <laughs> I was saying that. Come, we're doing a, the podcast. We're doing Dev Hell. We're almost at the end. So. <laughs> oh, cool. I was saying that Jacques and I d- tried to give your composer talk at Nashville PHP once, and it bombed. I remember that. It was horrible. It's not the slides. It's not, it was, it was it's not the, the slides. Man. It was the delivery. Yeah, it right? was the delivery. It's the man makes it. The and then the very right? first one I ever gave, and I, I find this story kind of humorous. Is um, the the talk was called Framing the Frameworks? Okay. This was in uh, April or May of 2005. That's clever little alliteration. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, like play on words. We'll hook them. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I uh, the International PHP Conference mm-hmm. uh, took a chance on me. I'd never spoken before. Was that where you took that? Had that picture in your talk from? No, you look like you were like thirteen in that. I don't. It was the picture you were on the tram or something like that. Yes, that is where that came from. Right. Yes. Okay. So I was not thirteen. I was twenty-five or. or That's so. still pretty young, dude. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I gave my presentation, and I had been up almost all night the night before working on the presentation. And by working, you mean? No, no, I wasn't yeah. drinking. I was actually. Well, I did go down and drink some. Well. Cool. But, uh, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too bad we don't have a video component to the podcast. Uh, it would have been good. <laughs> so I had uh, I've been working all night on slides, <laughs> and uh, went down. Uh, anyway, I was I went down to the Riot Conference Center, gave the presentation, 
totally nervous, like completely, and the room was jam-packed full. It's probably one of the fullest talks I've ever given. Full of angry Dutchmen. <laughs> full of like project managers yeah, right. looking for me to tell them what framework to use. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly. <laughs> Seriously. That. Anyway, afterwards we go down and there's like refreshments and that sort of thing, and I'm talking to this guy, and I said, uh, uh, I made, I made, I made the first mistake. And that was asking him, well, how did you think it went? Oh, no, he never, never asked anyone how you think <laughs> That's when I learned. Yeah, I know, yeah, right. And he said, uh, well, I think we both know how it went. <laughs> <laughs> and then I made the second mistake, which was, no, how did it go? <laughs> oh, oh, God. And then he says, he just, oh, it was horrible. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's well, was this I, a Dutch guy? Oh, it was a German guy. Because oh, if it was a Dutch guy, it would be straight in your face. Yeah, well, that's when I learned. If I more than a German, more yeah. because the Dutch are extremely honest and objective. To oh. them, there's no rudeness. It's just being honest. Fair. Well, well, that's fair. when I learned. Unless I want uh, a brutally honest answer, never ask a German for their opinion. A German or a Dutchman, apparently. or a Dutchman, apparently. A Dutchman or a Deutschman. Deutschman. Yeah, oh, right. that's right. There you go. I see what you did. Uh, Not just a pretty face, Ed. I'm yeah, right. <laughs> a Niederlander or a Deutschman. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So uh, I'm trying to think. I definitely had talks that I I was like, boy, that didn't go well, and I actually got. I remember I've had some where I was like, I was not feeling it. Like, I felt like I really stumbled my way through it. And I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but I remember it was very, like, I, I felt really like this didn't go well. And I got really good feedback, so I was like, eh? Well, it's like for me, yeah, that it's like for me earlier this year when I did the, the testing tutorial at Tech. Yeah. And I just realized that, oh, my God, I'm trying to get these people to learn too much in too short a period of time. So I spent like the first five minutes of my talk the next day saying, okay, who here was in my tutorial? So that's why I kind of like apologize. said, look, I know we went through this thing yesterday, but I feel terrible because I did such a shitty job. Yeah, right. So I'm like, okay, next time I do one of these things, it's going to be better. So I apologize for trying to cram like eight hours of material into your head in in three hours. And then I launched it to my talk. But that's basically kind of like my mistake now with talks is ones where I'm cramming too much information. I think the ones, the talks where I feel like I'm doing bad in are the ones where like there is definitely an energy you get from the audience Mm -hmm. and like if it's right after lunch or like first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. you might not feel that energy but they might still feel they might still feel like it was a good talk yeah they got it got something out of it but you know as the presenter you like for me at least I feed off of kind of that audience energy that that they're you know and you you can feel it by I mean you look at them and people who look really attentive and really interested that's when you kind of start feeling that kind of and you get like endorphins going and all that from that it's also cultural depending where you're giving a talk the audience is completely different you're right I mean I've had talks in the Netherlands where you you see nothing on the faces during the talk and you're like oh man I thanked it it was awful Mm -hmm. and after the talk they come up to you it's like that was amazing. I'm like, could you show that to me during yes. the talk? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I suppose that's true. I, you know, um, I, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely have things like that. I, I Have you had the experience where you get up there and, and partly, you know, I really don't, pre- I very much tend to wing it <laughs> when yeah, I get up there. I, have a, I think I know what I'm going to kind of talk about so I just get up there and kind of do it and that's there's pluses and minuses to that uh, but I, I'd be interested to 
have have you all had that experience where you get up there and you realize that you just don't know what you thought you did about something? Like something just pops into your head where it's suddenly there's just like a block. Like you don't have the words. Either one, I've I've several times forgotten what I was talking about and just have to be like or or I haven't I haven't had that problem. Just my problems are sometimes either yeah. I don't have enough material to fill the time yeah. slot, or I have like too much and I suddenly realize, oh man, I'm gonna have to cut a whole bunch of stuff out yeah. and then try on the fly to like think about what can I not talk about and still tie yeah. everything together. There's like, oh shit, there's no way I'm gonna get through this in 45. Uh, or I had a loss of words, but that's basically because I lost my voice before the talk. See, you have a better uh, excuse for it. You had a physical. Well. Look at this guy. We were waiting there. Well, basically. we're just finishing up Dev Hell. We had like two. Well, I minutes. think. Oh. I think to yeah. to to your point, Ed, like about like losing words. Um, I always, I routinely have that problem. Yeah. Like, right. When I, in, in the middle of a conversation, it's, it's a it's a ama- it's amazing me that I'm even being able to carry on a fluid conversation right here, <laughs> um, and maybe because there's a microphone in front of me, but. Uh, most of the time, I will stumble and stutter uh-huh. and uh-huh. just forget common words, and I'll be up yeah. in front of the audience, and that'll happen. I think that's a thing. And I, I'm not going to diagnose you, but I know that for me, it has to do with my ADHD, and it's mm. just the way that my brain works that sometimes it's like it seemingly can't recover something that it knows. It, right? And it, it's frustrating to me because it feels like it's happening more and more as I'm getting older. Yeah, but you're and, pro- probably your brain's and, losing and, it. You know, yeah, yeah, that's probably, so that probably what's happening. That's what it is. Yeah. I, f- I find that rehearsing helps me with that. You get to know, like, yeah, what's uh, this thing called like kind of yeah, I don't, See, I don't, I don't rehearse sometimes. <laughs> trying to give him Yeah, well, if, if you rehearse enough, you kind of like when you get stuck, you remember what you said during rehearsal. I and actually, you kind of find a way out. I've started taking more presenter notes and writing things down in there. Yeah. Um, yeah like I where that. I feel like if I feel like there's an important concept that just popped in my head, I'll I'll jot it down in there because I'm like I know I'm gonna forget that. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, using presenter notes has helped me a lot too, which in some ways that makes it a little less spontaneous. I really should practice more. I should rehearse more. That would probably give me better talk. Because I know once I, I mean, I've given that open sourcing mental illness talk, well, the, tomorrow will be the 14th or 15th time that I've given it. And I am much better at it than I was. And I've learned tons about it and I've, I've changed. It's a, a, a different talk than when I started, but I'm also better at it. Um, I can do it just. But do we at the to, end of the day, uh, it, it really would have been better if oh, I just practiced it. But okay. I don't know. I'm just not. I have trouble doing that thing where I'm just like if I'm just by myself in the hotel room and giving the talk. I think I'm somehow too self-conscious to do it right there. Plush elephants, man. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Take all those elephants and put them all in front of you, and there's your audience. It's like the duck that you talk out the programming problem. Yeah. Rubber ducking. Well, I think, you know, maybe this is a, you know, we didn't talk about, we'll probably have a sponsor here. What do you think? I don't know. Figure something. We can do it in post. <laughs> yeah, you didn't want me to, I'll just put like a robot voice in it. That's it's right. like, this episode of Brock's I can totally do that too. You should totally do that. All right. All right. Okay. We'll do that. But I think we probably have to wrap up. So. Yeah, because uh, I think the security here is going to start uh, wandering around and want us to Start go. tasing us. So this has been episode number 52 of the Development Hill podcast. So Five deuce. The, 
The five, the five deuce. The five deuce. <laughs> Terrible. Cinco deuce. Cinco deuce. <laughs> so, uh, dropping this 50 second. Never mind. Yeah, right. Uh, so, thanks to Ben for coming in and talking about some conference stuff. No, but then Raphael came by and other people. Come Michelangelo. And Adam came by. And Adam came by to brag about him finally winning something. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think Adam even knew we were recording. No, we'll tell him. <laughs> nope. So, so this is episode number 52 recorded via the magic of digital recorders at True North PHP. We'll see you all in episode 53. Goodbye, Internet. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was a very uh, different and unusual way of doing the podcast. I want to thank uh, our special guest who came on. We had Ben Ramsey, my old boss at uh, Moon Toast, and I'm going to pour virtually pour one out because Moon Toast is no more. And uh, Adam Culp for coming on and bragging about winning an Xbox. Um but, uh, but yeah, that has been episode number 52 of the Development Hell podcast. As always, I want to thank our sponsors. Ed, you want to thank the sponsors this time? Uh, yeah. Um, I was told specifically to thank Rove, um, that they make uh, many fine products and uh, are an excellent way to... Get your life turned around through multi-level marketing, and well, well, hold everyone. Up, hold, hold, hold up, I think you're. I think you're confusing Rove Rove with uh, with Amway. No, um, it's my understanding that uh, Rove uh, they recently and uh, they signed a couple of years ago a three year deal to be the uh, presenting sponsor of the uh, Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> no, no, that I don't think yeah. that's true. Um, let's see. And uh, well, because oh, they, 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 sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, they're also they're the since 2012 they've been the lead sponsor of the Canadian Championship. <laughs> Canadian Championship of what? Uh, soccer. <laughs> I, I I think you're there. I think there's either a man in the middle attack going on your. Uh, uh, going on, on on your computer or you're like reading some weird alternate um, Wikipedia site. Yeah, sorry, Rove is none of those things. Rove oh, is- my my bad, my bad. I Yes, it says Amway, not Rove. Oh, see, I knew it. Sorry, Evan. Your money's, um, your money's still good, though. No, but he sells Amway, too. Oh, he does? That actually makes a lot of sense. Do you know he wants, does, to, buy, yeah. do you know he wants to buy a boat? That's like his lifetime goal, to buy a boat. I guess yeah, can, was it? So was I guess he can just stand on the boat and, and just yell, I'm on a boat, and he can play the T-Pain and uh, Lonely Island song over and over again. Uh, wasn't that the goal of the dad on St- in Step Brothers? Uh, I haven't seen Step Brothers, so I couldn't tell you. You should definitely watch that. I don't know. Will, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. I don't know. I don't think they're such a good combo. Of course, I'm lying because I love Talladega Nights, but that's a different story. All right, yeah, so, they're a great combo. All right, so thank you, Evan, for uh, for and the other folks at Rove uh, for supporting the podcast. Uh, people also should the wonders. Me. Yeah, and then let's talk about our next sponsor. Oh yeah, I'm interrupting you. It's very unprofessional. <laughs> I don't think we have our stuff together. Uh, the Wonder Network, um, which is all about computers and the wonderful world of computers. How do computers talk to each other? Uh, does your computer sound the same way in California that it does in Brazil? Wonder Networks knows. Thank you. <laughs> See, I'm normally muted for this, but I couldn't get to the button and talk. <laughs> 
Paul and Will at the Wonder Networks. You're doing an awesome job. Thanks always for the support. Will Farrell, yes, at Wonder Network. So, so that's another podcast right. done. So thanks to the sponsors. Uh, as always, you can find everything to do with the podcast at devhell.info. I remember all those years back when Ed and I first talked about this. It all started off, he had an awesome um, domain name for us to use. So every single episode of the show is available at devhell.info, along with awesome graphics, uh, where Ed seems to have a sixth sense for figuring out an appropriate uh, funny image and titles. Um you can also find show notes, although I don't think we have any show notes this time, but we need to listen to get the info. We uh, didn't write anything down. So no, we didn't write anything down because we're, we're too busy uh, keeping an eye out for the security guard who was about to kick us out because the hackathon was going too long. Yep. Uh, so you can also uh, listen to the podcast via iTunes. If you do listen to it via iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast. It lets us know if we are doing the awesome job that we think we are. If you want to talk to us on Twitter, you can use, you know send messages to us at dev underscore hell. Of course, Ed and I are on Twitter all day blathering around, so you can find me on Twitter as Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed on Twitter as Funkatron with the U. As always, thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening, and Ed and I will talk to you all soon. Good night, Internet.